0: Good morning, friends. Meet me in the book of Acts. Acts is in the New Testament, about three quarters of the way into your Bibles. We're going to be in Acts chapter 18 today. And as we get started, I want to read just a couple verses from the middle of the passage that we'll be looking at in a few moments. So Acts 18, verses 24 through 26 say this. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came To Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately. Though he knew only the baptism of John, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the ability to continue to gather in this strange way during this difficult time. Father, we pray now as we enter into this moment that you would calm our hearts and still our busy souls so that we can be fully here, present in this moment, attuned and attentive to your spirit, to your voice, speaking to us this morning. May we be free to respond in whatever ways we need to respond today to this good news about Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome to week two of our vision conversation. We're laying out some of our hopes and dreams for the coming year. And we began this conversation last Sunday by making the declaration that we are no longer a church in transition. Discovery has been through a long season of transition, but we are now a building church. We're, we've laid the foundation and we are building a new kind of church. The backdrop, to this conversation is uh, naming these two fundamental pains that we all experience in our broken sinful world, right? There's the pain of not getting what you want and then there's the pain of actually getting what you want. Experience of anger, the emotion of anger tends to be a warning sign for us of these types of pain. should not be a surprise to us that we live in an Uh, anger-defined cultural moment. Anger is the emotion of our day and age. Now, we juxtapose that, the, the two types of pain, that anger that we're experiencing with this passage from Jeremiah 29. The intro video you just saw was a reminder of a part of that passage. Jeremiah 29, a letter written to God's people who are in exile, right, taken away from their home to a new and foreign land. And it's his vision for how to be at home when you are far from home. God challenges his exiles to seek the shalom, the good, the flourishing of the place that he has them, the city that they are in, to settle down there, to plant gardens, to pray for that city, because God says when the city flourishes, you will flourish. In the same way, we are called to be good news, In this place, to seek the shalom, the flourishing, the good of Davis and Woodland and Yolo County. Now a big question for us is, well, how do you speak good news to angry people, to disappointed people? How do we seek shalom in places of great pain? Well, we don't come with magical fixes and silver bullet solutions. We offer instead presents. We offer our presence, and we offer an invitation to experience God's presence. So out of all of that, there were two big challenges. There are two big challenges for us coming out of week one. One was the challenge, the sort of individual challenge, to put down roots here at Discovery, to put down roots here in Davis, even if you will only be here for A relatively short period of time. This challenge to make this place home. Because when you are committed, when you are rooted locally, you can be present, you can offer that presence to others, you can seek the shalom of the city. But then the other challenge for us collectively as a church is to dream and pray about our physical presence. Here in the city of Davis? Is there a new space for us, a different space for us to put down roots in this city so that we can seek the shalom and contribute to the flourishing of this place? I hope that you've already been able to dream and pray about that this past week. All right, so that was our starting point. Today we're gonna press into that a little bit further. And I wanna begin by saying this even though we dream, and pray for a new home base, a place from which to launch creative missional initiatives for the good, for the flourishing of the city. Even though we pray and long for that, we don't need it. Jesus never had a building. And as we're going to see here in just a moment, the first Christians, what's sometimes called the early church, actually grew faster. It gained momentum Once they gave up their tether to the temple in Jerusalem. Because the mission, okay, what God is up to in the world is not about facilities and programs. It's about people. Are you with me? Now, the book of Acts. The book of Acts tells the story of this movement of the church, the first church. The book begins with Jesus reminding his team, his sort of core team, the disciples, original disciples, Of their mission. He says to them, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and then in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's pretty epic, right? All the way to the ends of the earth. Now, this is a a pretty similar statement to what Jesus says, his own words, in Matthew 28, the way that the writer Matthew ends the Jesus story, where Jesus commissions the same, same group of people to go and make disciples of all nations. Do you hear, do you see the geographical progression of this mission? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, disciples of all nations. Now, as you read the book of Acts, and you get into the story, you'll notice an interesting thing. It begins in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit indeed shows up with power, just like Jesus said. A bunch of people join the movement, but they're still there in Jerusalem as late as chapter 8. They're still retreating to the temple, not quite sure about what to do next, even in Acts chapter 15, which is over halfway into the story. But eventually, eventually they do get to it, And there is this movement. We see it moving outwards towards the ends of the earth. And as that happens, as that movement takes place, there's this interesting reality that unfolds. The farther out they get, the deeper they go into this ends of the earth part of the mission, the more important common space becomes for their work one of the critical words that runs all the way through the book of Acts is this Greek word oikos. All right? Oikos, not just a brand of yogurt that you can buy in our grocery stores. This word means home or household. And in particular, it refers that, that word household refers to kind of the unit, the, the group of people that would be a part of the larger family. It wasn't just a, a parent and 2.2 kids that made up households back then. It was oftentimes a group of people, extended family, grandparents, aunts, uncles, other people who worked as a part of the household. That became the central focus of the early church mission. You see, it's when the church leaves the building that the important work of mission and discipleship really gets started. Now, we do see hints of this as early as Acts chapter 2. Acts 2.46, day by day, attending the temple together, so there they are at the temple, and breaking bread in homes, right? Temple and homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. Acts chapter 5. Every day in the temple and from house to house, oikos to oikos, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. But again, this really picks up some steam and becomes much more prominent the later into the story we get. So in Acts chapter 16, it starts coming uh, fast at us. There's a, a woman we're introduced to named Lydia, very successful businesswoman. She uh, meets this guy named Paul. Paul, a very central figure in the Acts story. And we're told that Lydia and the members of her household were baptized. Lydia and the members of her household were baptized. A little bit later in Acts chapter 16, Paul and his partner Silas have been thrown into prison, but there they share the good news of Jesus with their jailer, and the jailer and all his household were baptized. Now, to our scene today in Acts chapter 18, this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, get connected to this guy named Apollos. And they invite him where? They invite him to their home home. And they explained to him the way of God more adequately. Most of the everyday work of disciple-making, of this mission that Jesus sends the early church on, was done by normal people sharing their lives and the good news about Jesus in their homes, household to household. Now let's talk a little bit more about Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos. Earlier in Acts chapter 18, we learned that Priscilla and Aquila had been spending time with this guy, Paul. They joined him on one of his journeys. Paul did a lot of these journeys, a lot of traveling where he would plant churches, where he would check in on and encourage other churches that had been planted. These journeys are an essential element to this ends of the earth part of Jesus' commission. So, Priscilla and Aquila have this incredible opportunity to witness Paul in action. They get to see what he does, process. Why'd you do that? And why'd you say that to that person? And what did that thing mean when you did it in that moment? That, the, this is what we would call here at Discovery the apprenticeship process. They apprentice with Paul. And then they settle in Ephesus, right? They start to put down roots to seek the shalom of the city. It's here in Ephesus that they meet Apollos. Ephesus is an important New Testament city. We have a letter that Paul wrote to that church in our Bibles, and this is where all these different characters connect. We learn a couple of things about Apollos. He's smart. He's passionate. He has a gift for teaching, but his overall uh, development needs some work, and so Priscilla and Aquila, and I love this translation of this verse, They received him into their circle of friends and they explained to him God's way more accurately. They received him into their circle of friends. That's how uh, the common English Bible translates that word oikos. After some time under their wing, they then send Apollos back out and he's even more effective in sharing the good news of Jesus with people. Now, a couple of very important principles at work in this scene that I want to draw out for us, and then we'll talk a little bit about how that pertains to our vision. So, first thing is this. The farther away the first Christians get from Jerusalem, from the temple, the more important the household becomes as the center and focus of ministry. The more post-Christian, unchurched the culture becomes around us, the more vital the oikos, the household, becomes for us as our center of ministry. As helpful as a new kind of facility might be for us, in no way does that replace or supersede the importance of ministry out of homes. Again, I love how it says that Priscilla and Akula invited Apollos into their circle of friends. The oikos, the household, represented what we might call the social context. And I believe very strongly that the social context is the most vital but also underutilized context for ministry in our culture today. Let me explain what I mean by that. There are different types of social dynamics depending on the size of the group. How you interact in a group of 200, very different, right, than how you would interact in a group of 20 or a group of two. Now Jesus is a great example of this. He he understood social dynamics and leveraged these different settings as part of his discipleship process. We see Jesus using the public setting, right, where he's speaking to large crowds. The Sermon on the Mount, feeding the 5,000, was not intimidated by that large public context. But Jesus also bet significantly on what we would call the, the personal context. Okay, smaller groups of 6 to 12 people. He, of course, chooses 12 disciples. Within that, he has a small circle of confidants, what we would call the intimate setting, 2 to 3 people. These are Peter, James, and John. But the setting that I think, again, is too often overlooked is the social setting. And this is actually where Jesus spends most of his time. The social setting, groups of 20 to 30 to 40 people in a home, at a meal, in between that personal and public space. Jesus did have 12 kind of official disciples, but if you read the gospel accounts of his life, you see that there were other people that spent time with him. There was a group of women that traveled with him to help support what he was doing. He was constantly in this this group of about 20 to 30 people. And again, I think it's this space that we need to recapture. We need to allow our imaginations to run wild in this social space if we want to be effective in our mission in 21st century Davis. So this uh, idea of social dynamics is transforming how we are going to construct what we've been calling discovery groups as we move forward. Now our discovery groups are, are great. They've been doing an excellent job in that personal space. I want to be very clear about that. As we th- talk about a new model for group life, it's not because the other one is bad per se. We are just uh, we have a desire to leverage this other social context. Small groups are great at creating community and a safe place to process and share life amongst. Six to 12 other people, sometimes a little bit less, sometimes a little bit more. But small groups tend to be very difficult environments for new people to break into. They can be intimidating for those who are new to church or unfamiliar with church. And small groups have a hard time multiplying, where one group becomes two or three different groups. Small groups are personal. And they do a great job in that personal space. But again, we want to bump that up a level and move into the social space so we can leverage that more. So our new model of groups, what we are calling mid-sized communities, hopefully we come up with a better name for it at some point. But for now, mid-sized communities leverages that social setting and those social dynamics in order to ease barriers of entry and to accelerate the multiplication process. Think about it this way. What's an easier invite for you, a two hour discussion in someone's living room on the book of Colossians or a a barbecue in someone's backyard, right? That barbecue much easier to say yes to. Now there's a whole lot more to mid-sized communities, how they work, the dynamics of all of that. And we're going to give you some time to, to talk about it, pray about it, dream about it in our current group model over the next couple of weeks but really you kind of have to experience it to see what it's all about. So here's what it's going to look like for us. Step one, which we are in right now is talking about this new model and preparing two teams to launch mid-sized communities, uh, come April. That's step two. Step two is launching these groups after Easter. We hope that this is a time where we will be able to to gather together outdoors, uh, much more easily. Thanks to better weather. But April is when we want to launch two of these groups. And then step three, which is a little bit longer term, is going to be multiplying those groups. We hope to see them uh, spread regionally throughout the city of Davis into Woodland and who knows, maybe even the ends of the earth. But the dream here, again, is to reclaim that social context, the oikos, the circle of friends, as the center of discipleship and mission. So that community is a place to call home, but also a place to offer home to others. We want to be a presence, not just on that large group, physical space, public scale. We want to be a presence for God's kingdom, seeking shalom within our neighborhoods, the streets that we live on, at our kids' schools, the sports teams that they play on, with students on campus, all the other places that God has us throughout this larger community. It's in this creative, adventurous tension of community and mission that transformation and formation happens. So again, the collective challenge for us is to launch two of these new groups, two mid-sized communities in April of this year. But there's also an individual challenge here as well. And really, I would say it's more of an invitation than a challenge. It is that foundational invitation to community, to know and to be known. So much of the pain and the anger that we see in our world is fueled by this cycle of desiring, but then also rejecting community. This deep ambivalence towards right relationships. I've seen many Apolloses, (laughs) Apollosai, I've seen many Apolloses reject the invitation of Priscilla and Aquila, but then become very angry about the lack of meaningful connections and relationships in their lives. It's a beautiful, awesome, risky thing that Priscilla and Aquila do. Opening their home, inviting Apollos into their circle of friends. But it's just as beautiful and risky and vulnerable that he says yes. And that he takes that step into their home, into their circle of friends. Brene Brown says, Vulnerability is the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, courage, empathy, accountability, and authenticity. If we want greater clarity in our purpose or deeper and more meaningful spiritual lives, vulnerability is the path. Opening uh, ourselves up to know and be known. Last year, when our groups were, well, when our whole church was moving through the practice of prayer in our discovery group, we had different people adopt some of the different prayer practices. And then some of us were able to sort of share what we had learned and even walk the rest of the group through that practice after spending some time with it. One individual in our group took on the practice of imaginative prayer. She picked the story uh, where there's this woman who's been in pain bleeding for 12 years, and it's in a crowded public place. She uh, tries just to get to Jesus to touch his robe, right, so that she can be healed. So she walked us through this imaginative prayer exercise with that scene, and knowing a little bit of her story and some of the pain that she's been through, man, the way that she led us into the presence of Jesus, and that imaginative prayer practice, it was profoundly moving, and one of the most encouraging experiences that I have had in group, in church, in a long time. And it's those kinds of beautiful moments that happen on both sides of that invitation. When we open our homes up we open our lives our circle of friends up to people who need good news but then also on the other side of that when we say yes when we step into community to say i will find home here that's when those beautiful transformational formative moments happen when we open ourselves up to others to those seeking good news when we say yes to finding home in community let's pray Father, in this year it has been very easy to become disconnected from one another. It has been impossible to have people into our homes. It's easy to feel lonely, separated, apart. And so as we move through a pandemic, as we hope and long for the days when we can open our homes again to each other, when we can spend more time together, physically present with each other, God, we long for that. And we pray for a swift end to the damage that this virus is causing so that we can get back into those rhythms. But even now in in our moment today, even now we can say yes to community, to hospitality, to relationship with you because of what you've done for us through your son Jesus, but also with each other. That we can open that home space, that circle of friends to one another so that we may be able to encounter and experience in all kinds of new ways the good news of Jesus. The abundant life, the grace, the peace, the joy that comes from knowing Him and being known by others. Father, I pray for our church, for Discovery, that we would grow in our ability to offer home to those who are seeking home. To offer presence to those who desire presence. And to seek the shalom of this place. Not just on Sunday mornings during a gathering, but all throughout the week in the different places that you have us. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. In John's telling of the Jesus story, as Jesus shares a final meal with his team, that that group of disciples that he sends off on this crazy adventure in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. His final meal with his friends, he says this to them. He says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You, Jesus says, are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father. I have made known to you. How incredible is that? That Jesus calls us friends. That we are now, because of what he has done for us in his death and resurrection, we are now a part of this community. Father, Son, and Spirit. That it gets extended to his creation. Human beings made in His image, His family, His children, also His friends. Wherever you are right now, I want to invite you to take your elements for communion so we remember what Jesus has done for us, His body broken for us, His blood poured out for us, so that He can call us friends. When you're ready, take and eat the body and blood of Christ.